0: sermon, and we are blessed as a church to have several who can open up God's words appropriately. We're glad to do that, and thanks for the rest, too. I owe you for that one. It's good to have some time out. Hey, let me ask you a question that you've been asked since you were probably at least old enough to talk. What do you want to be when you grow up? This is the audience participation side. What do you want to be when you grow up? What, what, what were your answers? Come on, throw them out there. Scientist? Pilot? teacher, an astronaut. Nobody on this side of the room wants to be anything, so (coughs) y'all. What did you want to be? What was it? A marine biologist. Okay, all right. Didn't work out. Don't like water, huh? Can't hold your breath that long. I get it. All right. Anybody else? What did you want to be when you grew up? Okay, let me ask you this, those of you who did not answer out loud, are you what you wanted to be when you grew up right now? Raise your hand if you are. Okay, I got, I got three, okay, alright, I got three, maybe four down there, okay, alright, three and a half, we're moving, okay, not totally sure, perhaps. I, I know many people who have uh, gone through their education, they went to college, they got a degree in this field and they work over here doing something completely different, That's most people. When I was a uh, senior at uh, Texas A&M, whoop, gigamaggies, um, when I was a senior at Texas A&M, I was married, had a kid, had another one on the way, and uh, we decided that I was going to go, I was a a speech communication major, by the way, just just so you guys all know that. That may shock you uh, that I'm not marine biology. Um, uh, There were 450 of us in all of Texas A&M, and we were a minute little forgotten group. Uh, We were indeed the lambs of liberal arts, as they called us. And uh, I went to work for Walmart, uh, and then from Walmart, I went over and I opened up a Best Buy right across the the main campus there at Texas A&M. Within a year, I was the the store manager of this Best Buy. I was 23 years old. I was running uh, a—that store was about a $24 million business, and we were really good because I had the cream of the crop working for me. I had Aggies working for me, Right. And they ranked everything, and and, and they they ranked the store against other stores. And my first month as the the general manager of this store, I was the number one store in the whole company. And we stayed in the top ten for the next 18 months, uh, which resulted in me promoting a lot of people out of my store. They would graduate, and they would go someplace else, uh, which got me to a great place to where I didn't have to work that much in my store, but it got me to a bad place. I had to go to Houston and teach people what I was doing in College Station. The bad part was I couldn't come down here and find Aggies and so it didn't translate real, right well one day a lady stops by from the center of retail studies from the business school there at texas a&m and she she wants to talk to me because she finds out that there's this kid running this business and he's really successful and so we talked for maybe i don't know 30 45 minutes and, and she says tell me now now what did you major in in the business school i said oh <laughs> i said ma'am um, um the only f on my transcript is accounting and she looked, and I said, I'm not a business major. I'm a liberal arts. I'm a speech-communication major. Oh. She says, I was just about to ask you to come talk to my business majors. But if they find out that they can do what you're doing and not have to go through the business school and make this kind of money, I'm going to lose them all. And I said, you're probably right. You will. Fast forward about 20 years later, we go to take our son to a transfer camp. He's now at Texas AM and there's this huge line of students for the business school and there's like three people in line for the speech communication school and so i went over and i just very laughingly said to them if i were you i would take my card and i would walk down the line and hand it to everyone and say i'll see you soon not everybody grows up to be what they want to be now to be fair a 3 year old it's a hard question to ask what do you want to be because they all want to be a fire truck you know they want to be inanimate objects you know, they, they, they had these ideas, and some of us, we, we are kind of bent certain ways, and very few, and I mean it, very few, even in this room, know exactly what you want to be when you grow up, and you push, and you strive, and you do those things, and, and look, let's just be honest for a moment, because I, I always appreciate, honesty. some of us are doing what we're doing now because it's what we know to do, and it's just maybe a little late for us to do something different. Is that, is that fair? And I'm not, I'm not trying to tap into your despair. I'm just talking about the reality that we're in. Because at some times, at some point in your adult life at least, you get to a place and go, this is a job. And it's a job I'm going to finish doing until whenever. And, and it does satisfy me. It does pay the bills. It does provide. It does open up my calendar to do some of the things you want. But, but if I really could stop and rethink it at 45, if I could redo and think maybe back into my 20s and 30s even, I might be doing something differently. Is that, is that fair? Some of you are in that 20-30 range. Please don't lose heart because if you look at us, we have things now in our lives we would have never considered in our 20s. They're called children. They're called friends. They're, they're, They're called things that are far more important than our jobs. Men, listen up because this really applies to you because fewer things attack you as men than the job that you do because so many of us men are wrapped up in our identity by what we do for a living, not by who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's a deep challenge for men, particularly in a, in a, in a, in a, a, a country of exceptionalism that we live in. And, and so ladies, hear this as well. Your husband works hard. He works hard for a lot of reasons. Some of those is because he finds fulfillment in that job. He finds identity in that job. He finds camaraderie in that job. He finds things that, no offense, he doesn't find in other areas of his life. He finds that in his work. Because we are meant to work, by the way. The scripture is very clear you don't work, you don't eat. Work's actually a gift, is it not? Doesn't feel like it some days, does it? When does the gift come? I'm tired of the curse. Every two weeks, okay? So many of us, though, not just men, we wrap up what we do into our identity, and the question goes back to what do you want to be when you grow up? So let me ask you maybe a little bit different question. As we've been walking through, we're getting back to this Believe book. There's copies of it back there. they are five bucks if you have it. If you don't, just take it. We're, we're going to go through chapters 21 through 30. We've been doing this for the last several months, talking about what we think, how we act, and who we're becoming. In fact, just a, a simple statement is what we think about influences how we act. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Good in, good out. How we act leads us to who we're becoming. Notice I misspelled that on, on purpose. And who we become depends upon who we are and what we believe. What we believe dictates our actions. It flows out of us, especially in times of stress or times of, of, of turmoil. Wh- what we really believe comes out in the actions and manifest. And, and so when, what we want to do is to say that we believe that, the, that God's word is true and that God's word transforms me and that when I think on these things, whatever's good, whatever's noble, then, then I become who this person is. But, but here's where we miss out. Christianity as a whole, this is where we miss this out. We, we, we think, and if you write anything down this morning, I would say write down this line right here, the goal of Christianity is not to be a better person. It's to be like Jesus. The, the goal of Christianity is not to have a higher moral truth, not to, to, to be friendly or kind or, or to be more generous or to, to be more philanthropic, whatever the word is for that, right? None of that stuff matters because it doesn't matter all that outward stuff. The goal of Christianity is to be like Jesus, to be made like him through this process of sanctification where we're we're purified and cleaned up and all the pieces of who we are that don't have eternal value, God is changing those things a little bit at a time as we submit to him. And our goal is not just to be a good guy or a good person or a hard worker or a loving father or all the things that you hear people read at a funeral. The one line you want to hear people say was that he followed Jesus Christ and knew him as his Lord and Savior. That's the goal of Christianity is not just to be better. This is not a self-help book. There's not a lot of improvement that can really be done just by reading this. You don't get to, and I'm, oh man, thank Jesus for stopping that last one. Because I could go on a long road of Christian authors who write garbage about improving your life. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm talking about improving your eternity. Because the goal The end goal is to be like Jesus. And the only way you can be like Jesus is to be transformed from the inside out. And part of that transformation comes from what you think, how you act, and who you become. Now, let me change the question just a little bit. What does your life say about who you're becoming? What does your life really say about who you're becoming? Let's let's go just a touch deeper on this, because this one may sting just a little bit. Do you like who you are? I, do you like who you are? I'm not talking about how other people don't like you. Okay? sun rises, water's wet, grass is green. There's just some things that don't change, okay? <laughs> do you like who you are becoming? I mean, come on, let's be fair. If you don't like you, don't expect others to like you. If you don't respect you, don't expect others to respect you. If, if, if you're not more like Jesus, don't wonder why other people around you aren't like Jesus too. You know, honey attracts bees. You know how to attract flies? Chew on that a little bit. Do you like you? Do you like who you're becoming? Have you ever stopped and reevaluated and assessed your life and just go, man, how did I get here? I've met a lot of homeless people. I've, I've worked with them in various ministries, sat under bridges and had meals with them had some great conversations with some awesome people who just made some different decisions in life and i'll tell you no matter what your viewpoint is on homeless people most people who choose to be homeless now, now that's a different category i know but most people who choose to be homeless can go back to the one decision they made that got them to a place to where they didn't like who they were who they were becoming and how they were influencing others and they decided i will just withdraw and i'll go over here they can tell you that decision a lot of it had to do with 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 what they thought how they acted and came out lead. many of it had to do with with substance abuses and, and, and addictions and things like that but but what it really came down to was i don't like me i don't like who i'm becoming and i don't want to be around people who are either judging that or going to be negatively influenced by who i am i appreciate that level of honesty do you like you do you like who you're becoming do you even know who you're becoming Are you wild-eyed and full of hope? Oh, man, I'm going to change this world. Let Jesus change your heart. The world's already changed. It's already changed in the Christian life about who we're becoming and what that manifest looks like. And we've heard sermons and we've talked about and we even say things that only God can judge me, only God knows my heart. Man can't know everything about me or who I am. You know what? There's an element of truth behind that. But let me tell you something that we can see. We can see your actions all day long. And what you do leads me to understand what you believe. Because if you do it consistently, for example, Alabama believes in winning. And they act that way and they think that way until October 9th when they play texas a and i A&M. I'm just saying, okay? I know, right? Hope is a tenet of the Christian faith, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Nobody gets up and goes ready right to a football game and says, you know what, today I want to lose. Nobody wakes up as a child and says, I want to be homeless. I want to be a liar. I want to be a criminal. I want to be a registered sex offender. Nobody wakes up and says those things. They don't talk about the negative things that they could become, but they get there. And they get there because we're looking for these quick answers. We're looking for the external things instead of fixing the internal things. And when we can't see the heart, we can see the actions. And this is what Galatians chapter 5 says to us. Let me read a couple passages for you real quick. Just listen, maybe look on screen here. Galatians 5 the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambitions dissensions factions and envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you paul says as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god that's a long list of yuck and it's a long list that encompasses a lot of people, including each and every one of us, because I guarantee you there's something on that list that we can identify with. And I'm going to trust the truth of God's Word and His Holy Spirit to talk to your heart this morning about something on that list that is identifying who you are and who you're becoming. Now, don't, make, don't, don't miss this. Your sin is not what defines you. Your salvation is. Your sin is something that you do, and if you embrace it and you welcome it and you make it a part of your life, then you are yourself based upon your sin. It's not the other way around. Jesus stopped calling us sinners and started calling us saints once we received eternal life forgiveness, a gracious move for us. But for those who proclaim Christ and those who don't, this laundry list is exactly who they are, sexual immorality of all types discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions. I mean, right now, without naming names, you know somebody that that's them. That's who they are. Yeah, that's my boss. I work for that guy. That's my co-worker. They're in the cubicle beside me. I see this person every Tuesday on Zoom. I know exactly who they are. I don't know about you, but that may be one of the blessings of, of what's going on with us not being in the workplace right now is that you don't have to hear all the stories of debauchery and yuck from the weekend, but you're missing out on opportunities to talk about what you did this weekend, how you talked and learned, thought and become more like Jesus. This is the evidence of what they're becoming. They do these things. But look, here's what it says afterwards. This is great, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such these things there is no law those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other you see the difference between good fruit and rotten fruit do you see the difference in, in, in how we we describe things that we think about and we act like and how we look at the world and say, "Man, we see these people who are who are engaged in all of these terrible, awful things." And look, let's just be honest for a second, okay? As human beings, we do have a certain set of morality that that that, that is put with this. God put eternity in our hearts, and so His Spirit is speaking to us on a regular basis. And point, so we're disturbed by some of these actions until we get calloused to where we embrace those things. Now, I have said on more than one occasion that I am not just pro-life. I am absolutely for babies, okay? And I have had these conversations, and I've spoken at these events, and I've been to these places where people, well, you know what, the pro-life thing, that's a political move. i got news for you. That is a lazy person's out for not choosing a moral high ground and determining that a child is a life and is worthy to not be disassembled inside of a woman's body. There's nothing political about that. It's all moral. Kind of polarizing, isn't it? Especially in this day and age, we could pick a lot of things where people, oh no, that's not politically correct. And I don't care about those things. You have to come to a place where it is morally right or is morally wrong, and then your politics are going to be shaped that way. Do you see how that works? Because you look for ways for the law, as we saw in Dan weeks ago, to open up and say legally it's okay, but morally it is gone. It's bankrupt. And we see the evidence of the flesh and the evidence of the spirit living within us by who we're becoming. By how the decisions that we make are shaping us. So how are we to become like Jesus then? when we live in a world where we have legalized murder and gambling and drug use and prostitution, where these things are legal in our country right now and people are embracing them because they can't because some authority Whoever that is has said, it's okay for you to give in to the the flesh side of things. Where another authority that has existed outside and before all of them has said, no, this is not what I want for your life. There is something better for you, and I'll prove it by sending him to die on a cross. So how do we become like the one who died on a cross for us? How do we become like Jesus? Well, obviously, we think and we act a certain way, and we have to make sure we're making good choices, you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn to, to what I think is a familiar passage in John chapter 15. John writes to the, the non-Jew, to the, the, the Gentile and the Greek, and he's breaking things down throughout his gospel, and he's sharing. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke in a lot of ways, because almost all the parables that are spoken of in those other three books are not mentioned in the book of John. John is the apostle that Jesus loved. He was, he was his right arm. He was with him in lots of places. He, he, was, he was one of the ones where his own mama said, hey, can my boy be second in command when you take the throne? He was there at the foot of the cross when Mary looked up at her dying son, and he said to John, take care of her. She is now your mother. You are now her son. John has a lot of insight. He was the apostle that probably lived longer than all the rest of them. He was the luckiest guy you'd ever meet. Read Revelation. he will tell you about how many times he was beaten. Him and Paul go head to head, right? I don't think Paul was ever boiling oil, though, did he? John's got a story to tell. John's got a story for us to learn. In John 15, we see the last of the seven I am statements that he makes. And he's talking about who he is and what God wants to do with him and why he came to this earth. And so let's start in John 15, verses 1 through 2. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You want to know how to become more like Jesus? You trust the gardener. You trust the gardener. I've got black thumbs, man. I could kill a plant. I could kill poison ivy. we miss out on the reality that a loving God who allows lots of terrible things to happen in this world prunes and disciplines because he loves us. He takes off the parts that maybe we don't have the strength or the will or the wantingness to get rid of God takes from us when we'll but submit to him I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but he thanked God for it because it kept his eyes focused on that. And each and every one of us have something that is a barrier roadblock to us becoming more like Jesus. And one of the best ways for us to get over that roadblock or through that roadblock or around that roadblock is to stop trying to do it on our own and just say, Lord, please take this from me. Jesus himself had the wisdom to say, God, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? Because you can. And if you won't take that cup from him, Jesus says, I'm willing to take that. And God is saying here very clearly in John 15, the first couple of verses, is that the gardener cuts off those pieces, those elements that you can't shed or can't get rid of. And he does so because he sees that when he removes those things, it puts you back into focus. And when you don't have as far to get the nutrients to, they stay compacted and they grow meaner and stronger and better for the kingdom of God. Because God, the gardener, has pruned him. And Jesus himself has said that he's the gardener and I trust him you want to be more like Jesus be more submissive to the creator God you want to be more of who we're supposed to be who God wants us to be if you want to become not just a Christ follower not just a better person but if you want to become more like Jesus then you'll trust the gardener and he'll prune and you'll see fruit blossom as a result of that a good vine dresser gets that they know that Someone who sees a beautiful plant and realizes the way for that to continue to be beautiful is I've got to cut a little bit of it off. It'll come back next year. Trust the gardener. Skip on down with me to verse 5 in that same passage. Jesus again says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear not just some fruit or a little bit of fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You want to be more like Jesus? You cling to the vine. Many times we read this passage, particularly in verses 5 and 6, and we see this, apart from me, you can do nothing. What that really says in, in in its honest translation is, you can do nothing of spiritual significance. You can do lots of things, but you can do nothing of spiritual significance apart from Jesus. There are a lot of people who do good things, who are very philanthropic, who give, who serve, who help, who, who, who give food to the homeless and send money to hurricane victims. There are lots of people who do lots of good things, but I'm going to tell you something that has no spiritual significance because it doesn't improve your standing in morality because it doesn't improve your standing in eternity. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Throughout the scripture, there were three vines that were often described. There was the vine of the past, and that was the Israelites who were told that they were going to be connected to the one true God, the chosen people of God, the Israelites, and that God was going to take these Israelites. He was going to put them in this promised land, and in this promised land, they were going to flourish and they were going to grow. If you remember that whenever Joshua and Caleb came back, they talked about the size of the grapes in this promised land that flowed with milk and honey. And it was God's plan from the beginning to use the Jewish people to be His light into the entire world so that people of every tongue and every nation would proclaim the goodness of God. But they had to stay connected to the vine. And they didn't do so, and they got kicked out. They had to get removed from that place, out of the vineyard of the Lord. And that was the vine of the past. And now we live in the vine of the present. And the vine of the present says that we need to be connected with Jesus. We need to Learn what he learned. We need to read what he read. He had the Old Testament scriptures. We need to spend time with him in prayer. One of the things we need to do in our church, in the body of believers, how do we stay connected to the vine? How do we keep clinging onto that vine? Is that we got to be connected to one another. We got to be with God's people. We got to be with God, time on our knees in prayer, in his word quietly becoming who, who we let all the other influences of the world fade away and say, I'm going to let this influence me. I'm going to drink and taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to do what is right and best, not because the world says so, because they're not, but because God has already declared who I am and who he wants me to be. And it's all found right here. If you're looking for identity or for significance or who you are, it's already in here. Stop being lazy and expecting someone else to affirm who you think you are god's already declared that and i mean that as lovingly as i can possibly say it we feed on everybody else's ideal of who we are who we could be and we get the attaboys for the nice things that we do but god has already declared who i am i don't need the world's affirmation when i have god's you don't either who are you becoming If you find yourself becoming what everybody else wants you to be and how everybody else likes you, I got news for you. You're probably not going to like the destination because people will eventually leave you as you get further away from the vine. As you stop clinging to the vine, you start to die and you wither. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we're very clear on what happens when those vines begin to wither. They get tossed into the fire. They're either good for producing fruit or they're good for fire. That's it. That is all the vine is good for. You don't build homes with the vine. You build homes with logs and trees, right? The vine is too fragile. And the branch is even more so. And if we are the branches and he is the true vine, then we need to stay connected with him. We need to stay lockstep with him. And we do so by personal time with God and we do so by time with God's people. On Sunday morning at 9.30 back here for all of our our folks, from babies all the way up to adults. On Sunday nights in in, in the home of the Kemps, or on Wednesday nights in Angelo's home, in women's Bible studies, in men's Bible studies, on your knees in your prayer closet, at your kitchen table at 5 o'clock in the morning or at 9 o'clock at night. Stay connected. Cling to the vine, or we'll miss out. Listen to this passage here as we talk about the future vine and what God says about this. Revelation chapter 14 Says this in verse 14 through 20. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple and called out in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is right. So he who is seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's his bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia i think sometimes when we look at our own lives and we wonder who we are and who we're becoming and we're coming like christ that we forget the reality that the harvest is imminent and we should expect that the harvest is coming now in this passage in revelation it speaks to two very distinct groups that are going to be harvested one is the future vine And when he talks about the future vine that's been laid out there, he says that there's the vine of the earth, those who have have dwelled in the pleasures of all that the world has to offer, and that they too are going to have the sharp sickle. But the angel who controlled the fire was making sure that it was ready for all of that rotten fruit to be cut up and thrown into the fire. That is the dangers of becoming as the world wants us to be, becoming all the things the world says you can be because it's okay there's also a harvest for those of us who have clung to the vine. It's the final harvest. It's the one where Christ himself comes back and says, those are mine and this is my vineyard. And I will walk through there and I will feed in delight and I will take them to myself and I will cherish them because I am the good gardener. I think as Christ followers, sometimes we miss out on that reality that all of our deeds and all of our actions, each and every one of them, we will stand before God and we will answer for them, just as every other human being that's been created will do so. And the difference will be not that we were a good person, not that we were a moral person, not that people liked us, not that we were funny or we were, we were fun-loving or we gave a lot of things away. It's that we submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That'll be the difference. And so if you want to think about who you're becoming, Will you be one that is saved, or will you be one that is cast into the fire? We don't preach like that anymore. I don't think we hear a lot of those things. Pastor, that's not a real positive message. It is for me. I don't know about the rest of you, but when the sickle comes, I'm ready to go. Ain't no charred on me, buddy. I say that in jest because my heart hurts for those who think they can continue being who they are outside of Christ because apart from Him, you can do nothing of significant spiritual value. So much of our Christian life sometimes speaks to the same thing. And we try to do things which are great. Maybe they're just good. They have no significant spiritual value because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Nothing. We should expect the harvest. We should look forward to that. I know that on people's deathbeds, I've been around them, I've talked to them before. I've known people who have fought terminal illnesses, most of which have lost that battle. Those who are in Christ are, are ready to be with Jesus. Those who are in Christ understand that there will be no more suffering and no more pain. Those who, who are in Christ want to be in the presence of a holy God forever and ever because who they are becoming is not quite made full as who they will be in Christ. When they're standing on the other side of the gates, picking from the tree of life. But then I've seen those two that just don't know and they're not sure and that they're afraid. They're not certain of what waits for them, if anything at all. For most of their life, perhaps, maybe that's been a little bit comforting to them. If I don't have to acknowledge the truth, then perhaps I won't have to deal with it. Folks, I'd love to be wrong about this and waste my life instead of wasting my eternity. We should expect a harvest. We should expect a full harvest. We should also understand about who we're becoming. God is setting us up so that we can go out and tell others how they can be part of the Lord's harvest, not pressed into the wine press of the Lord's wrath. That's a scary place. That's a guarantee of judgment that's coming. As John the Baptist had one message that he was sent six months in advance before Jesus, and that was to repent. Matthew chapter 3, we can see the beginning of that. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. for for the Lord Himself is near. For Messiah is coming. Matthew chapter three, verse eight, we see a, a very interesting thing. While while John was baptizing those, while he was bringing those to say that I believe this Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, I believe Him to be true. People were coming and they were confessing their sins and they were repenting of how they had broken against Him. And he sees the Pharisees come up to them and he looks at them and he says, "You brood of vipers!" Says that in Matthew 3, 6 and 7. But he says this in chapter 8 directly to the Pharisees, to those, those knuckleheads who had all this knowledge, who had all of this ego, who had all this pride, but had everything wrong, he said to them, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I think the message of repentance is lost some days. I think the message of repentance has been watered down in such a way to say, oh, if you'll just tell God you're sorry, if you'll just walk forward when the pastor asks for that, if you'll just get on your knees and just say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that, my bad, everything will be fine. Repentance is not just saying, my bad, everything will be fine. Repentance is saying, I love God more than the sin that's been controlling me, and I'm going to turn completely away from it. I'm going to do a 180, and I'm going to walk away from that sin, and I'm going to hate it so much I never want to do it again. Not because it's wrong, not because it's evil, not because it does all these other things, but because it separates me from the loving care and kindness of my God. It keeps me away from the vine, and apart from him I can do nothing of spiritual significance. I actually believe one of the challenges that we have in not knowing who we're becoming and not understanding who we're becoming is that we're refusing to pull the weeds. We're refusing to get the weeds out of the garden that tangle up and choke out the good fruit. And we do so because we don't have true repentance in our heart. We have worldly sorrow, as Paul will say to the Corinthian church. We're sorry we got caught. We're frustrated things aren't working out the way we hoped them to be. When was the last time that you truthfully got on your knees before your God and said, not only am I sorry that I did that, I never want to do that again. I never want to do that again. And let me tell you something, friends. The further you are from the vine, the easier it is to just be sorry for something and not be repentant. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I think that's going to be a reflex, friends. I think that even the unsaved are going to see Jesus in all of his holiness standing before them, and their only response will be to bow down to loving, holy God. It won't be just because they thought it was a good idea. I think the spirit within each and every one of us is going to stand before him and then kneel for him in judgment because we have unrepentant hearts. And the message of repentance was no more popular than as it is today and it especially wasn't popular within the church of the day, within the religious leaders. Are you pulling the weeds in your life? Have you even identified what they are? Are you the branch connected to the right vine? Are you the world's vine that stands to be harvested and reaped, thrown into the fire? Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 says this, and I'll say this in closing this morning. This is a letter to the church at Smyrna. And it says, consider how far you have fallen. You remember what you used to want to be? Remember who you, who you were and everybody looked at you and they thought you were just awesome in all these areas? And then you chose sin and you embraced sin openly and consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. Do you remember how sweet it was the day that you said, I am a sinner and I need you. And I want to live like he says I should live. And I want to be who he says that I can be. And I want to be more like him. I don't want to just be a morally better person. I don't want to just be kinder. I don't want to just be gentler. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be willing to follow him to the cross because he did so for me. Do you remember the sweetness of that day when you first accepted Jesus Christ. Oh, how far have you fallen? Go back and do the things you first did. Because if you do not repent, listen, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. I asked you earlier, if you knew who you were, if you liked who you are, if you know who you're becoming, a city on a hill cannot hide its light. Let your good deeds shine before man and bring glory to the Father. Christ, Father, listen to me this morning. Because I'm, I'm going to ask you to repent of whatever it is that's going on in your life. Because if there is no light in your world, then the lampstand has been removed from you, and you are not worthy of proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. You are tarnishing the goodness of a Savior who died for your sins. And God is saying at some point, I will turn you over, as he said in Romans, to your own sins and let you just wallow in that field for the rest of your life because you are choosing to do so, because you have become like the world wants you to be, not who Jesus says I died for. Has your lampstand been removed? Are you who you want to be? Are you becoming more like the world says a good moral person or are you becoming like Jesus? Can I be fair for a moment? I've I've held back all morning. My guess, my guess would be, I don't know what it means to be like Jesus. You're talking the stuff up here, Pastor, like I'm supposed to know this or something. I don't know what it means to be like Jesus. Jesus. These words have survived for more than 2,000 years unchanged. Amen, right? My own mic drop moment. I don't know what it is to be like Jesus. That's not okay. It's not. Don't mishear me. Don't think that for a moment somebody's going to stand up here and go, oh, it's okay. It's not okay, your light is out. And God wants to, he wants to light an eternal light in you. And Christ follower, repent. Go back to doing the things you did when you first, go back to your first love, as he said to the past. Live connected to the vine of the future. The goal of the Christian life is not to be a better person, it's to be like Jesus. And friends, we can't do that in 40 minutes of my ranting on Sunday morning. It ain't going to happen. And I'm not responsible for it. You've got to be. I just don't have that want in me. Hey, I get that. We talked in our small group this morning, our Sunday school class, about not feeling God's presence. Stop strangling him out. You wouldn't know God's voice he spoke directly to you because you haven't heard what he's already said we look for new revelation each and every day but the revelation is simply what John wrote down for us that he's coming back and there's going to be a harvest and some he's going to throw into the fire and some he's going to take to heaven repent it's the same message but repent by producing fruit in the practice of we've got to do that as Christ followers each and every day you don't just do it once we take up our cross daily and we follow him This morning, as the band comes up, as we look at the next 10 weeks in this Believe series, we're going to see who we're becoming. But, church, I'm just going to ask you something I rarely do, but I'm going to ask this. I I think some of you need to repent. I don't say that flippantly, but I know that it's right. Because in a crowd this size or a crowd of two people, one of us is going to have to say, God, I'm sorry for something. That's humanity. But, who are you becoming? I'm going to open up the altar. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to pray with you. We'll sing until we don't want to sing anymore. And I'm going to ask you to come face-to-face with your God today. Say, my light's out. I don't like who I'm becoming. I don't like that because I know I've been promised more. and That's what I want. Pastor, can you show me how to get there? I can help you. That's what the body of Christ does. Will you pray with me before we sing? Father, I don't know I don't know the posture, Lord I just know my heart is heavy this morning Because even I can confess That I'm not who I want to be And I know some of those roadblocks those things that I need to not just say I'm sorry for but turn completely away from my spirit is willing but my flesh just doesn't want to move I believe that's the same with some of the folks in here today there are lost people that are so disconnected from the vine looking for answers, and they're in government. They're not finding it on Facebook. They're not finding it at the bottom of a bottle. They're not finding it in any of the vices that we collect. But Lord, I repent that they're not finding it in watching my life and seeing who I become. And so, Lord, I want to give that back to you. And I'm going to ask you, the gardener, to prune away the things. I'll relight my lampstand. all of our lamps, Lord, so that they might see your good deeds and know how much you love us. It's your desire that all would be saved, that none would perish. Father, help us to determine who we're becoming not feel guilt or remorse, Lord, but instead feel a broken heart that can only be filled by the loving kindness of Jesus Christ. Father, I want joy to flow from my eyes, not sorrow. So, Lord, we repent this morning. We turn to you, God, and away from the sin that entangles us so richly. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Will you stand with us, church? Will you stand? Will you sing?